Hey, welcome to episode 10 of the Beauty Business Podcast. We're into double digits, folks. Yay! If you are new here, then this is the show for the health and beauty industry, particularly you independents out there. We're here to help you connect to the tools, tips, the knowledge and the advice to get your beauty business salon or clinic to where you want it to be. Whether that be starting out in the right way, moving your business into profit, generating larger profits, or simply helping to make your life a little easier. I'm here to help you, and you are in the right place. My name is Adam Chatterley. I am your host here on the Beauty Business Podcast, and I want to help mobile therapists, home salons, independent clinics, salons, and spas to reach their full potential and business goals through simple, practical, and focused business advice. Every couple of weeks, I'll be releasing a new episode which is packed with information covering the topics that beauty business owners are struggling with right now. I'll also be bringing you experts from both within the industry and also outside of the health and beauty industry to give you their advice to help you grow your business the right way. So, I can't tell you how to do a better massage. Can't tell you how to do a better manicure or facial. That is your area of expertise. But I can help you to get more clients, the ones that you really want. I can help you to reduce your costs, increase your profits, sell more retail, control your time, and generally make more money for the hard work that you put into your business. Now, in the last episode of the Beauty Business Podcast, we talked about the five ways to grow your salon or beauty business and how a relatively small price increase could have huge effects on your revenue and profits. We also looked at how and why, out of all the five ways to grow, a change in your prices not only beat any three of the remaining four ways combined, but it was also the quickest method to implement and saw the fastest results, potentially even showing results and generating more revenue for you within four to six weeks. But I did make a fairly critical assumption. I assumed that your current prices were correct in the first place. Now, don't worry, I'm not going back on what I said in the last episode. Everything I covered absolutely holds true. But in order for a price increase to have the desired effect, we must first look at your existing prices and how you arrived at them. It isn't always possible to simply increase prices, obviously. Otherwise, we would simply put our prices up every week and very soon no one would be able to afford to buy anything. There are very specific conditions to be met before a price increase can be implemented correctly, without any stress or worry and without losing any clients. But before we look to increase prices in a bit more detail, we first need to look at how you set your prices in the first place. That is what today's episode is all about. If you like, we're taking a step backwards from last week's episode and focusing on how to decide on the prices for your treatments in the first place. So, why have I called this episode the four biggest salon pricing mistakes? Well, the reason for this is that more often than not, when I ask a salon owner or a home-based or mobile therapist the question, how did you set your prices? I usually get one of four answers, and unfortunately, all four are examples of how not to set your treatment prices. So, to help you set your own prices, or to help you evaluate your existing prices, let's go through the four biggest salon pricing mistakes. I wonder if any of these will be familiar to you. And just to state here, I hold my hands up to being guilty of at least a couple of these myself. Hi, Adam here. Sorry to interrupt myself, 
but I just wanted to let you know that there turned out to be a lot more to cover on this topic than I first thought. So this episode spills over into another one. I still cover everything here today that I said I would, but in order to really dig into the details of the right way to price your treatments, I needed just a little bit more time. Don't worry though, I'm putting together an awesome free download to help you work through everything, and that will be available soon. You still need to listen to this episode before listening to the follow-up, so I'll hand back over to myself now for the rest of today's episode. Oh, and yes, I will be telling you what really is important when setting your prices. The only thing that really does work and help you to get your treatments priced to perfection. Now, before we dig into this, I just want to say that I'm not trying to catch anyone out here. The four pricing mistakes I'm about to cover are by far the most common answers I receive when I ask business owners and managers how they set their prices. I even get the same answers from hotel and spa owners and even retreats and resorts. All four mistakes do make sense at first, and as I said in the previous episode, it's all about education. How much time have you spent studying something? If you are a massage therapist or a makeup artist or a nail technician or a hairstylist, then I imagine you studied and practiced pretty hard and for quite some time to do what you do and to be the level you are now, right? Now, I actually studied economics at university. I studied various economic theories involving price and its effect on demand and purchase levels, but I honestly don't remember studying pricing itself. Everything I've learned about pricing has been gained in the real world from books and courses at first and then applied to my clients' businesses and my own business so I know exactly what goes through the mind of a salon or beauty business owner or a manager when deciding how much to charge for treatments or services. Like I said, I'm not highlighting these pricing mistakes to catch you out or to make you feel bad. I'd be highly surprised if you didn't set your prices using one of these four ways. The point here is to help you to understand that your current prices might not be correct, which could affect the effectiveness of a price increase within your business. The good news is I can count on one hand the amount of times I have looked at prices with my clients and found them to be too high. So the chances are that your prices are already on the low side, meaning a price increase is not only possible, but overdue for your business. Okay, so let's get into this. Here's how it goes. I ask the question to a salon owner, how did you set your treatment prices? Obviously, I get a whole host of responses worded in different ways. And sometimes I do need to do a little bit more digging to actually get to the bottom of what they're trying to tell me. But pretty much always they fit into one of four response categories. So pricing mistake number one is what I call cost-based pricing or cost-plus pricing. This is where you work out all the costs of delivering a treatment which could be product cost, wage costs, heating, lighting, laundry, proportion of rent, etc. And then you add an amount to that cost, usually a percentage, to arrive at a final price. Now, to keep life simple, what I usually find is that salons come up with a single percentage increase amount and simply apply this to all of their treatments with a little bit of rounding up to the nearest pound or dollar or euro so that the amount looks nice on the price list. Now, I can't knock this method completely because of all of the four mistakes, it is the most scientific. After all, at least effort has been made to calculate costs and an amount added on top of this for profit. However, it has a fundamental flaw. The cost of a treatment or a service has almost nothing to do with the price it should be sold at. 
Now, I can virtually see a good portion of you shaking your head at me and thinking, Adam, what are you talking about? Of course the cost affects the price. So let me give you an example. Let's say, for example, that a treatment you offer in your business uses a particularly expensive oil, cream or gel polish. It's a significant portion of the cost of that treatment. Now, let's imagine that for whatever reason, there's a global shortage of that particular product and the price of it increases drastically from your supplier. Increasing your costs to the point you would have to increase the price of your treatments that use this product by 20%. Would you pass that 20% increase on to the client? The vast majority of salons, indeed all businesses, probably wouldn't. They would shudder at what they thought their clients might say and immediately start saying things like, we can't do that, maybe we can pass on some of the increase but not the full 20%. So if a cost increase doesn't mean you can increase your prices in line, then it stands to reason that there is no direct link between what a treatment costs and what a client will pay. Need more convincing? Okay, another example is this. Think back to the last really significant purchase you made. Could be your house, your car, or even your TV. I'm sure you asked a lot of questions to help you make your decision. You looked at how much it was, what features it had, whether you could afford it, whether it suited your needs. In the case of a house, you probably even involved a lawyer or a solicitor to help you make sure it was a safe purchase. And one thing I'm almost certain you didn't ask was, how much did it cost to make? Am I right? So. While as a business owner, it is incredibly useful to know the cost of each one of your treatments, and I actively encourage you to calculate this in detail for every single treatment you do, the cost of your treatments has little to no bearing on what you could or should charge for them. Here is another problem with cost-based pricing. I was working with a salon in Cambridge here in the UK. They had set their prices based on their costs, plus about 50% markup. They'd done an amazing job of calculating their costs and knew exactly the cost of every single treatment down to the amount of towels and face cloths that were used and therefore their laundry bill, plus every single cotton wool pad. They'd worked all this out and they added on their 50% markup and then rounded up to the nearest pound for the sake of the price list. One day I received a call from the owner sounding very pleased with herself. She told me she'd negotiated a new deal with their laundry company to reduce their costs as well as found a cheaper supplier for some of their consumable products at the same time benefiting from a rent reduction because of an accidental overpayment in the previous year. This all meant that the cost for their treatments had dropped by around about 15-20%. to 20%. The salon owner had decided to pass this benefit on to her clients to reward their loyalty and lowered the prices of her treatments, sticking to their 50% cost-based pricing markup. She was calling to tell me that her clients were delighted that they were paying less for their treatments, she was getting such great feedback and she was happy because she was still making the same amount of money, 50% markup. I went very quiet on the phone. What's wrong? My client asked after a while. You aren't making the same money. You're making much less money, I said. Nope, said my client. I'm still making the same. My costs have reduced, so I've lowered my prices, but I'm still making the same 50% markup. It was time to get the calculator out to show her what I meant. Let's say the total cost of a particular treatment used to be £30. With 50% markup, the price my client would have charged would be £30 plus 50% markup, which is £15, so a total of £45 for the treatment. So they were making a clear £15 profit on top of all their costs for each treatment that they performed. With the reduced prices, the new cost price was £30 times 80%, which is £24, which is a tidy cost reduction. 
The new treatment price to her customers was £24 plus a 50% markup, which is £12, so £36 for the new treatment. A very nice saving for her customers too. However, for each treatment, she was now only making £12 profit. That is a reduction of £3 per treatment or, in other terms, a 20% reduction in profits. Now, a 20% reduction in profits would be a big hit for her business. Needless to say, she put her prices back up again. The next mistake I come across is what I call competitor-based pricing. Now, this is by far the most common answer I get to my how did you set your prices question. Sometimes it takes a little bit of digging to get to. I often get it disguised as things like local market analysis or competitor analysis, but it all boils down to the same thing. A salon or beauty business owner looks around at their local competition and either decides to set their prices a little higher than the average locally or a little bit lower. Oddly, I rarely see people set their prices the same as their local competition. There definitely seems to be an almost 50-50 split on charging a little bit more or charging a little bit less. The argument for charging slightly more usually goes like this. It occurs where a salon owner has looked around at the local competition and decided that they are going to base their prices at a small percentage or a couple of pounds more than others in their area. They've decided that people will be happy to spend a little bit more money with them for a certain reason. This could be because they plan to use a notably higher quality product for their treatments. Maybe they have nicer or newer facilities. Maybe they offer additional features like teas, coffees, juices. Maybe they have a relaxation room where others don't. It could be one of these or almost any other reason. The argument for charging slightly less is where a salon owner looks around at the local competition and decides to set their own prices at just a little bit less than everyone else. While there can be a number of justifications for this, which is usually the opposite of the reasons to charge slightly more, ultimately the thinking behind the decision to charge a little bit less is almost always made on the theory that by charging a little less, then clients will come to you rather than going to one of your competitors. Unfortunately, there are problems with both of these ideas. In the case of charging a little bit more than your competition, the justifications are sound. Of course you should charge a little bit more money for your treatments if you offer a little bit more than anywhere else. I'm not denying that. But basing your prices on your competition plus a little bit makes the huge assumption that your competitors have got their pricing right in the first place. But it must be right if people are paying it, I often hear as a response to this assertion, and this is pretty much the whole point I'm trying to make about price. Just because people are paying a certain price doesn't mean that it's the right price for that treatment. The right price might be a little bit higher than your local competition is charging. If you make the assumption that the prices your competition is charging is correct and you simply add a little bit on for your better facilities or higher quality products, then you could be missing out on bigger and better profits. Plus, you are perpetuating the problem of what the right price for this particular treatment is in the first place. By basing your prices on your competition less a little bit is flawed in so many ways that I literally have to hold my head in my hands when I hear this from a beauty business owner. For a start, it makes the same assumption as charging more than your competitors in that your competitor's pricing is right in the first place. As we've seen, probably not. Second, do you really want to be seen as simply the cheapest option around? Maybe you do, but I'm going to bet that that was not your dream when you started out on your business journey. Third, even though I've talked to you about your competition in the local area, 
and this is exactly what the other salons are, the truth is that getting along with these other business is a benefit to you. If a customer comes to one of your competitors and they cannot fit them in because they're too busy or they don't have enough therapists, then they will more than likely suggest an alternative option. If you get on well with your local competition, then they are more likely to recommend you and send the client your way in this situation. If you simply set your prices based on your local competition less a bit, this is not going to ingratiate you with your fellow beauty business owners. It'll put continued pressure on prices to keep them low, making it harder and harder for other businesses and you to increase your prices in the future to where they should be. And finally, there will always be someone else willing to charge just a little bit less than you. If another salon opens locally charging a little bit less than you do, consider how this will make you feel. Oh, and as for that idea that charging lower prices will bring in extra customers, wrong. It might bring in some, but these will be the ones who only want to pay the lowest price. And trust me, these are not the customers you really want. They will always want a lower price. They'll be the first to complain about anything and will leave you at the very first sign of a deal or special offer somewhere else. If you want to know more about getting the right clients for your business, I'll put a link to my guide to getting more of the right clients in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at beautybusinesspodcast.com forward slash episode 10. The lower your price is has nothing to do with the number of clients you will attract. Think about this. Do you always buy the cheapest of everything? The cheapest milk, butter, bread, washing up liquid, the cheapest clothes, the cheapest TV, the cheapest car, the cheapest house? No? That is because there are some things that you value higher than simply paying less. You'll always search for a good price for an item. But if you had to go to one shop to buy the cheapest milk, another shop to buy the cheapest butter, another for the cheapest bread, you just wouldn't do it. The convenience of being able to buy these things all in one place at the supermarket is more important to you and me than simply paying as low a price as possible. The same is true for all spending. Nobody wants to pay over the odds, but it isn't just about the price. Okay, rant over about charging based on your competitor's pricing. I hope I've made it clear that this is not the way to charge your treatments. Moving on. Next is a method I can only describe as best guess pricing. Now, this is not quite so dramatic as sticking one's finger in the air and simply plucking out a number. It sneaks through a little bit more subtle than that. It's usually explained as experience or knowledge of the local market. Now, I must confess here, this is the pricing mistake that I have been most guilty of with my own prices. I often find that when it's time to review my prices, I listen to that little voice inside my head saying, oh, that's too much, you can't charge that, people won't pay it. Then I scribble out the price and write something lower and justify it to myself by saying, hmm, that just feels right. Experience is one thing and shouldn't be completely ignored, but consider a few things about that experience. Where is the experience from? Is it from a different area, a different market or a different business? How old is that experience? Have you or the person with the experience been out of the industry for a couple of years? Where it becomes really dangerous is when people use the word experience or knowledge of the local market in a sentence to explain their pricing method. This is essentially the same as the answer of competitor-based pricing, but with the key difference that often actual research hasn't been done. I typically find that when someone tells me that their prices are based on their competitors, 
i.e. they're honest about it, that at least means they went out into their local competition, had a look around, grabbed a price list or two, and actually did the research. But when someone tells me that they used their knowledge or experience of the local market to price their treatments, this often means that they didn't actually go to see their competition or do any proper research. They just used what they already knew and remembered of local salons to price their treatments. Now this is way more dangerous as it isn't even based on any form of factual foundation. Can you remember your entire price list off the top of your head, let alone that of your competition? I certainly can't. A further problem of best guess pricing, or pricing based on experience, is that of perception. Everyone's perception is slightly different. It's based on past experiences, circumstances, or even just how you're feeling on that day. Now, I couldn't find an example from the beauty industry, but I did read about an experiment that was done within a legal firm. Everyone within the firm, from the receptionist right up to the partners, were given the outline of a case they might be asked to take on. Everyone was asked to go through the case details and then submit what amount of work they thought would be involved and therefore what price the case work should be charged out at. The difference, unsurprisingly, was huge. The lowest workload, and therefore price, was around $5,000 and the highest was over $14,000. This is a massive variation in price. Now, you might think that that pricing difference was generated by, say, on the one hand, a member of the reception team, i.e. not a lawyer, and on the other hand, one of the partners in the firm. If you did, you'd be wrong. Both the lowest price and almost the highest price were generated by partners of the firm. These are people of similar education, similar pay and similar experience, and they came up with prices well over $7,000 difference, the higher price being around 140% greater than the lower price. So this goes to show that experience can generate wildly different prices, and it's a poor method to use for pricing anything, especially legal costs and your treatments. The final way not to price your treatments is the what we charged last year plus a bit method. Okay, so right off the bat, this one has an assumption that you were already in business last year, so it's probably the most rare of the four methods that I hear about. Obviously, I don't get this from clients just starting out on their salon or business journey looking to price their treatments. The other problems you can probably already spot if you've been listening carefully so far. It presumes A, that you were charging the right price last year, and B, that you've carried out some careful and detailed analysis of exactly how much to raise your prices by. However... More often than not, I hear that the bit that was added on was some arbitrary small amount, for example, 5%. Or surprisingly often, I get told, oh, about the same as inflation, so, you know, around 3%. Like, inflation is a clearly recognised thing, and it oddly always seems to be about 3%. Okay, a quick word about inflation here. Please forgive me. Inflation is essentially a measure of how much more expensive things have got in general since last year. This is created from a basket of goods and services and measured by some governmental body. It is driven largely by prices that are out of our control, for example fuel, property prices, food, etc. And as such, it is forced on us as these products are seldom luxury items where it's a choice if we purchase them, but more of a necessity. Inflation certainly doesn't mean that because things have got, let's say, 2% more expensive, that people will simply expect to pay 2% more for everything. Quite the contrary, in fact. The reality is, certainly in recent years, that because people's wages haven't been going up, that we've all got just a little bit poorer. 
Also, there have been years recently, particularly after the global recession, that there has been negative inflation in real terms. Did you put your prices down in line with negative inflation? Probably not. Inflation, no matter how real, should never be used as a benchmark to raise your prices by, and certainly never given as a reason to a client. If any business ever told me they set their prices because of inflation, it would leave a very bitter taste in my mouth and I would think twice about going there again. So, back to that bit that was added on to last year's prices. Assuming that last year's prices were set correctly, you still need to calculate what this bit is, and often our good friend best guess pricing comes into play rather than any specific reasoning. Just a note here, yes, in the previous episode, an article I talked about raising your prices by 5% to grow your business. 5% was an example amount from a case study that I found to compare against the other methods of growing your business. Now, it could be that 5% is the right amount to raise your prices by when it comes time to review them, but it could also be 4%, it could be 7%, it could even be 12%. The important thing is that you've used the correct method to set your prices in the first place and then the same correct method to check your prices when it comes to reviewing and possibly raising them. So those are the four ways not to price your treatments. So how should you price? Well, let me introduce you to value pricing. Now, I've already hinted at this throughout the episode, especially in the section about cost plus pricing and also the example of the law firm pricing its legal case. But the truth is that the only thing that really matters and the only way to guarantee to get the optimum price for your treatments and services is value-based pricing. So just what is value in this context? Okay, so the easiest way to explain this is to think of a sale as a transaction between two people, a buyer and a seller. And let's consider a transaction of just one single item. Now, it makes most sense when the transaction takes place directly between the seller and the buyer. So... Whether you have ever bought one or not, let's look at the example of buying a house. Now, houses are notoriously difficult to put a specific price on, mainly because no two houses are the same, excluding newly built houses on development. Let's just ignore those for now. Two seemingly identical houses right next door to each other will have different decorations, different quality bathrooms and kitchens, more or less modern interiors, different sized gardens, possibly an extension, a converted attic, a new roof, blah, 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 blah. In most cases, the house seller sets an indicator price and then people come and look at the house and make an offer to buy it. Now, that offer is based on the value of that house to the buyer at that time. Here are three scenarios of buyers for the same house. Buyer number one. This is a couple and they really like the house, but they're in no massive rush to move. Ideally, they'd like a bigger garden than the new house offers, but the garden is bigger than their current garden and will serve their needs. Buyer 1 makes an offer of 10% less than the indicated price that the seller has set. Buyer number 2 is also a couple. They love the house. It's perfect for them. They like the garden size, the fact it has a modern kitchen and bathroom, and the layout of the open plan downstairs. Buyer 2 makes an offer of exactly the seller's indicated price to buy the house. Buyer 3. They quite like the house. It's in the location they're looking for, and it's around about the right price. They were looking for a bigger kitchen area, but they're not keen gardeners, so the garden doesn't really interest them. But buyer number three are expecting a baby in just three months, and they need to move now. This is the only house they've liked out of the past 10 that they've seen. And so to make sure they get the house, they put an offer in of 10% over the indicated price. 
you might think that the people who liked the house the most, buyer number two, would pay the best price, but this isn't always the case. As in the example, it's often circumstances that dictate the value of an item to a buyer. In this case, expediency of the sale was more important to buyer three than finding the perfect house, and they were willing to pay for it. It didn't matter to buyer number three what the house cost to build, what other houses in the area were selling for, or even what the buyer was asking for the house. They just needed a house, they liked this one, and they needed it now. Value then is the price a customer is willing to pay based on all circumstances and how they perceive the relative costs of those circumstances. There is another popular way of carrying out transactions based on this principle. eBay, you may have heard of it, it's a popular auction site. This allows you to place items up for sale on their website. People then bid on your item as much as they would like to pay for it. With the exception of all the new eBay stores selling new items these days, the majority of us still use eBay to sell things that are no longer useful to us. Often, these things have been stuck at the back of a cupboard, up in the attic, or in the garage, just gathering dust. To us, the current owners, the value of these items is low. We don't use them anymore. However, to someone else who wants or needs or desperately needs this item, the value may be high. How high depends on circumstances. I don't know how many times I've put something up for sale on eBay thinking it'll sell for a few pounds only to find it selling for many, many more times that. The great thing about eBay is that people bid what the item is worth to them. This means at the time you are selling your item, you get the very best price for it at that time. Those who value your item highest generally win the bidding, whatever the reason they value it for. So in an ideal world, you'd be able to assess the value of each of your treatments to each of your clients at that time and charge a different price to every one of your customers depending on their circumstance, need, desire and urgency. Problem is, this is just a tiny bit impractical. Very few people are going to come for a treatment if you haven't got a price list and you just tell people, well, we'll charge you what we feel the treatment is worth to you at the time you come to visit us. So, you're going to have to figure out what the average or the most common value of each of your treatments is to most of your clients. In order to satisfy the circumstances of the most clients, we tend to think that we have to go with the lowest price option. This makes sense, right? If we charge the highest price, then only a few people will pay it. So we go for the lowest price, thinking that will bring the most clients and therefore the most revenue. But, as you might be imagining, this is not the case. I would certainly like to pay less for some of the things that I buy. I'd like to pay less for the energy to heat my home, I'd like to pay less for the petrol I put in my car, and I would really like to have paid less for the big TV I just bought for our living room. But I can't. Yes, I could probably drive around or search the internet for somewhere cheaper, I could buy an alternative, usually inferior product, but the energy company I use, the fuel I buy, and the TV I chose fit my requirements. They fulfil my needs, given my circumstances. The sellers of these items set a price and I am willing to pay it. They investigated what people want, what they would like to pay, what they're happy to pay, but crucially, what they're willing to pay. And that is the price they choose to maximise their revenue. And that is exactly what you, as a salon owner or a beauty business owner, need to do. You need to do some investigation. What would clients in your area like to pay? What would they be happy to pay? And what would they be willing to pay? And you set your prices from there. But just how do you do that? 
Ooh, well, that is the question, and I am going to help you with this, but I've run out of time for today. So to help you with this question, I'm going to be putting together a follow-up episode to this one, as well as a free downloadable worksheet and checklist to help you get the price of your treatments right, to help you bring in the clients you want, and to help maximize the revenue you generate for the hard work and long hours you put into your business. I'll bring you that episode just as soon as it's ready, as well as the free download. If you would like the How to Price Your Treatments for Maximum Value download sent out to you the second it's released, please hop over to beautybusinesspodcast.com forward slash 10 download, register your interest there, and I will send you the workbook as soon as it is finished. So that's it for today. If you have any questions about today's episode, I encourage you to send me an email to adam at beautybusinesspodcast.com. These emails come direct to me. I read every single one and I respond to pretty much all of them too. Thank you for listening today. I appreciate the time you spend with me. I know there are an infinite number of things you could be doing as an alternative. If you're enjoying this podcast, can I ask you for a quick favour? Can you pop over to iTunes on your computer or the podcast app on your iPhone and give the show a rating? Just click where it says leave a review. I'd really appreciate it as it helps me to reach more beauty business owners struggling with these day-to-day business problems. Right, I'm going to get back to work on the next episode and the How to Price Your Treatments for Maximum Value workbook. See you again soon.